Alex Pittman is our youth intern this summer. And one of the things I love about Alex is Alex has this just passionate heart for God. And um, before we brought Alex on as a youth intern, he asked if I could talk with him, converse together, mentor him over, we did most of that over Facebook, and just kept talking and talking and talking. And he just can't get away from the fact that God's called him to ministry. And he's been doing a great job with our youth this summer. Um, and he's going to be sharing with you his heart and his heart that he's sharing with our youth this summer. And so Alex is going to bring to us the Word of God this morning. You might want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13 because that's where he's going. But, hey, let's welcome our youth intern. Alex, come on. Well, good morning, everybody. That was really weak. Good morning, everybody. That was a lot better. All right. Uh, well, as Pastor Jeff said, um, my name is Alex Pittman. Um, I'm going into my junior year at Mount Vernon Nazarene University um, in Mount Vernon, Ohio, uh, and I am majoring in youth and family ministry. That's um, where my passions lie um, and where God has called me. Um, and also, as Pastor Jeff mentioned, I am interning here this summer, and um, I was given the honor of sharing what God has been laying on my heart the last few months. For those of you who don't know, I'm recently engaged. And uh, so my fiance Ashley and I got uh, engaged a little over a month ago, and so we're in the midst of planning a wedding, and if you've ever planned a wedding, you know how incredibly stressful that is and how, how it, it, it just, it's just hard. But um, I'm curious, Pastor Jeff kind of spoiled it, but I'm going to say this anyway. Um, I want to know, who here knows what the most common scripture read at a wedding is? There you go. 1 Corinthians 13. Um, most of you, or a lot of people might know this as the love chapter. Um, it's kind of this, um, it's the, the part in 1 Corinthians that Paul just goes into love and what it is, and um, it's a very well-known chapter. <clears throat> in our youth group this summer, we're kind of looking at a chunk of this, um, kind of the middle, where it talks, where Paul talks about what love is. And every week we are, um, I'm, I'm looking at a different, um, a different aspect of love um, and a different character in the Bible or some characters that kind of uh, exemplify that. Um, and we're teaching ourselves and our youth what it means to love like Jesus. Love. It's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. <laughs> Jokes aside, the, I remember being a kid and like every year sitting with my dad and my brothers and in, we're in the living room watching the Super Bowl, right? And I feel like sometimes there's more commercials during the Super Bowl than the actual football. And I, and I feel like almost half of them are probably car commercials. And all the car commercials, I've always thought they're so dumb because they just show like these cars doing these crazy things. Half the time they have to have the, the disclaimer that it's a professional driver on a closed course. And I'm like, why do you have to, why do you have, to have that? Like, why don't you just show me what the car's actually doing instead of what it could do? 
anyway, so I always didn't like the car commercials, but the Subaru commercials, I always thought were pretty neat because instead of going into the flashy car stuff, they showed what their company does to help the world around them. They showed how they use their money and their influence to make the world a better place rather than just filling their pockets. And as I was uh, researching this sermon and, and praying about it and thinking about it, the question came to mind, what if the church believed and behaved in such a way that the world said, love, it's what makes a Christian a Christian? One moment, sorry. <laughs> um, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus is portrayed as being the pinnacle of Christian love. Um, he was just this um, great, this great example of what love is. And um, especially as seen in Matthew 22, Jesus brings love to this place of extreme importance. Um, when, so what happens in Matthew 22? The Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him, uh, teacher, what is, the, uh, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus said that love is so important that the entirety of the Hebrew scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, can be summed up in love God, love people. And that's just, uh, that just shows, it, Jesus shows in his life what that love is and um, how that is to be lived out. So he asked this question, what if we behaved and believed in such a way that those around us said, love, it's what makes Alex, Alex. Love, it's what makes Bob, Bob. Love, it's what makes Larry, Larry. Love, is it what makes you, you? I'm gonna um, read to you 1 Corinthians 13. Um, verses 1 through 7. So if you want to turn there. <clears throat> if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The Corinthian church that Paul was writing to had its issues, just like we do. 
Specifically, they were not known for their discipline or morality. In fact, in the outside world, the phrase to live like a Corinthian meant to live loosely. Just to live like a, this carpe diem, seize the day, just do whatever you want because it doesn't really matter, attitude. And I'm reminded of our world with that. This America for self-made men and women, where the phrase, it's a free country, is used to excuse immoral, selfish behavior. Where a lot of our values revolve around the self. It makes me wonder, do other countries use the phrase, to live like an American, to mean living loosely and selfishly, seemingly without consequence? Don't get me wrong. I am not going on an I hate America rant. <laughs> that is not helpful at all. And honestly, it's not true. I love America. It's, it's a great place. It's, we got, I, I love the values of freedom and equality and social justice that we, that we adhere to. But we need to acknowledge our shortcomings in order to grow as a people. When we read chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13 kind of seems like an outlier. We are reading, Paul's talking about um, spiritual gifts and um, unity in the church and stuff like that. And he's going into all that stuff. And then, you know, so he's like spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts, uh, love, 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 spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. And it's, it just seems weird that there's just a little love thing right in the middle of that. But what we need to understand is that love, that, that chapter is not meant to be on its own. When we, um, and I, I feel like the attitude that we kind of ha um, have subconsciously when we're reading stuff like this is we tend to disassociate love with other things. So like we consider love this emotion, this uh, thing that we use here and there with people that we like, stuff like that. But Paul is saying here that love is not just an emotion, but rather it is through love that everything we do has meaning. I'm going to read the first few verses again. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So in this first, these first few verses, Paul is kind of tying in the spiritual gifts idea. He's um, focusing on some of the most flashy gifts that the First Corinthian church um, uh, had and were exhibiting these things like tongues and prophecy and knowledge and self-sacrifice, these gifts that people would look at and they're like, wow, that's a cool gift. So the natural question is, what's your gifting? What are the passions, talents, or interests that God has put in your life for you to use for him? For example, maybe you are musically inclined, so you, yeah, you enjoy playing an instrument or singing or something like that. Maybe you're tech savvy and you can um, create like an Excel spreadsheet or you could um, fix a computer with like t in two seconds. Maybe you're athletic 
you're sporty, you like to be active, and um, maybe you're, you coach a team or something like that. Um, maybe you're a nurturer, and you love to care for children and others. Whatever your gift is, whether it's one of those or something else, Paul writes earlier in chapter 10 that whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Our giftings and our interests and our passions are not meant to be used for our own selfish purposes. They're not meant to be used to bring us recognition or fame. They're meant to be used for God's glory. Chapter 13 is going into how if, if I can do all these things, but I do not have love, I am nothing. Paul presses this point. He asserts that without love, nothing we do matters. No service, no sacrifice, no good deed, no praise, no nothing. Without love, it's empty. He express, Paul further expresses in the epistle to the Galatians, chapter 5, that it doesn't matter if I follow all the rules and get everything right because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It doesn't matter if I'm the most experienced, talented, intelligent, faithful person alive. If I don't have love, I am nothing. Love needs to be our foundation. We can't just go through life doing the right things without love. This turns into like a religion of legalism, um, which is something that the Pharisees in the New Testament struggled with, where they just everything became about what you're supposed to do. And it turns into this works-based religion where we feel like our good deeds earn us our salvation. And we need to remember that our salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. And when we're solely trying to do good deeds and stuff like that to earn our salvation and for our own righteousness, just because we're supposed to, we have a tendency to disassociate from people who are doing the wrong thing, who we would consider sinners. In school, I experienced a situation that perfectly shows this. I, I was in a choir, and we would um, tour churches, right? We'd go to different churches and sing the stuff we had prepared. And um, one of the members of our choir, he actually wrote a couple of our pieces. He wanted us to go to his church, and we're like, great, that'll be cool. And then, oh, like a week later, some of the choir members had, um, had looked up the website for his church. And they found out that it's the the church was in an attempt to be extremely inclusive they tended they they kind of put aside some of the things that um we as christians view are, are extremely important things like um jesus is the son of god they said that you don't have to believe that to be a christian and obviously we disagreed with that um we considered that very important but it got to the point where because of that disagreement and the, the tension that was there, half of our choir didn't even want to go. Because, and one of the choir members, she cited a verse that is actually later in 1 Corinthians, 
where Paul says, bad company corrupts good character. They feared that if they went to this place where these people had it wrong, it would corrupt their faith. It would damage their faith. We tend to use verses like that to excuse not serving and loving others who disagree with us because we don't want to damage our faith. We ended up going anyway as half a choir, and it was good. God worked. But here's the point. We tend to separate ourselves into two groups, the haves and the have-nots. In the church, it tends to be the haves and the have-nots of God's favor, the righteous and the unrighteous, the good person and the sinner. We like to separate ourselves so that we can stand over here and say, well, we're not like them. Right now, you might be thinking, well, thank God I'm not like this person. Yeah, you have to think about that a little bit because that's the same exact attitude. We tend to think like the Pharisees, upholding our own righteousness by degrading others, either internally or externally. We want to keep God's grace to ourselves, not to those undeserving people. But when you're a Christian, you have to cross the bridge. You have to cross that bridge between the haves and the have-nots. And what is that bridge? How do you cross that bridge? Well, as Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We bridge the gap by submitting to God's kingdom, his kingdom of love. We can be the haves of so many things, but are we the haves of love? Do we love so hard that the world can think of no better way to describe us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything we do must flow from that. And anything we do for reasons other than love falls short of God's purpose for our lives. Okay, so we get it. Nothing we do matters if outside of love. But what does that mean? How do we love as 21st century Christians who live in America? How do we do taxes with love? How do we go to the grocery store with love? How do we be on social media with love? Well, the next chunk of this passage, I think, is extremely relevant for today. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Question. Have you ever been impatient with someone? What about when your kid is pushing your buttons or your sibling is pushing your buttons? Or what about when that one guy cuts you off on the highway? Have you ever envied? Have you ever wanted something of someone else's 
being discontented with your own blessings? Have you ever boasted in your own accomplishments, puffing yourself up to seem great to others? Have you ever looked down on someone else to make yourself feel better? All of these things are things we do every single day. They are ingrained in our very being. Most of us here grew up in America, and during that time, we were formed and shaped by every interaction we had with others, with our families, with our peers, with our colleagues. All those relationships formed and shaped us into who we are today, and most of them stemmed from the American culture. And the American culture is such that when we say we need to choose to love, we aren't just flipping a switch and turning on an emotion. We are choosing to have a whole mindset shift. Choosing to love is choosing to be patient. Instead of swearing at and honking your horn angrily at the guy who cuts you off, it's praying for him, saying, God, I don't know why that guy is in a hurry, but I just pray that you'd be with him and give him peace. It's choosing to be kind Instead of publicly condemning others that we view as sinful, it is choosing to change our view to see them as beloved creations of God, coming alongside them, supporting them, praying for them, and just being there for them, regardless of the fact that we disagree with them. It's choosing not to envy. Instead of seeing another's fortune and being jealous, causing you to feel contempt toward that person, it's choosing to count our blessings praising God for all he has done for us, and praising him for also blessing others. It's choosing not to boast, not to be, as the King James Version puts it, puffed up. Instead of focusing on our own accomplishments, it's choosing to humble ourselves, seeing where God has worked through us and through others, and giving him the glory rather than ourselves. It's choosing not to dishonor others, The New Living Translation says that love isn't rude. Instead of putting others down to make ourselves feel better about our lives, it's choosing to encourage and strengthen others, being in community with each other. It's choosing not to be self-seeking. Instead of focusing on what I want, what the world owes me, it's choosing to focus outward, valuing others as better than myself looking to their interests above ours. It's choosing to be slow to anger and further to hold no grudges. Instead of dwelling on that one time that person wronged you, or maybe that many time, the many times that person wronged you, it's choosing to forgive them, giving them the grace that Christ gives us. It is choosing, rather than delighting in evil, to rejoice with the truth. Instead of being hooked to that news channel that constantly bashes other people and shows you all the awful things in the world, it's choosing to feed yourself with positive things, not being ignorant to the issues of the world, but rather choosing not to make them the source of your entertainment. It is choosing to be a voice of truth and joy in your community, on social media, and everywhere you go. It is choosing to protect supporting others on their faith journeys rather than letting them stumble and fall alone. It is choosing to trust 
Instead of jumping to conclusions and making assumptions about others, it is choosing to give them the benefit of the doubt, seeing the best in them and encouraging them. It is choosing to hope. Instead of giving up on that child, that coworker, that sibling who has lost their way, it is choosing to hold that nobody is beyond saving and that the power of God is at work in their lives whether they know it or not. And finally, it is choosing to persevere. The influence of this world is so strong and its values tend to be in direct contrast with the values we see here. So perseverance, instead of just going with the current in order to be like everyone else, it's choosing to fight the status quo, choosing to be other from the world, choosing to be different. It is choosing to accept that loving like Jesus, making love the central point of our beings, is to be like a city on a hill, a light in this dark world. Love, is it what makes you, you? We need to ask ourselves that. And we need to ask ourselves, in what ways am I falling short of my duty as a child of God to love everyone? I pray that as a church, we can seek the Lord, asking him to fill us with his love in order that we might love others better. As the hymn goes, they will know we are Christians by our love. Is that true in your life today? Now let us go and show the world what it means to love like Jesus, doing everything we do in his name and for his glory. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.